0: Hello and welcome to what is now Season 5 of Pebble in the Pond podcast. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year ANZMHA hosts several leading mental health conferences which give us the opportunity to connect with incredible industry leaders, lived experience speakers, researchers, academics and frontline workers as they share fascinating stories and projects which are changing the face of mental health within our community. Listen in as we go one-on-one with these inspiring people and dive deep into their work. It is truly a privilege to bring you their stories. Our podcast episodes may contain content which could be triggering for some people. If you need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit the Get Help page on anzmh.asn.au. Join us for Pebble in the Pond each Tuesday, and let's get into Season 5. Angela Martin is the founder and principal consultant of Pracademia. Angela holds current part-time and honorary professional appointments with the Menzies Institute for Medical Research and the College of Business and Economics, University of Tasmania. On today's episode, we look back at the last 20 years Angela has spent working in the workplace mental health sector, how employers and employees' awareness uh, around the workplace mental health has grown and developed, and the changes around the stigma and conversations in the workplace around mental health. We chat about the now and the future and touch on the National Workplace Initiative, which is an exciting workplace mental health initiative. Welcome Angela. Angela, thanks so much for spending some time with me. I appreciate it.
1: No worries, Sam. Good to chat to you. Listen, it'd be great
0: to, let's set the context for our listeners, give them a little bit of background about yourself, if that's okay.
1: Sure. So, at the moment, I spend 50% of my time as a professor at the University of Tasmania doing research on workplace mental health, and the other 50% of the time, I work with my private company, Pracademia, working with clients doing consulting in the same area.
0: Wow, how's Tassie?
1: Tassie's great. It's a beautiful place to live. I love living there. We've been there for over fifteen years, and it's just got better and better. It's a great lifestyle. It's a
0: cracking spot, isn't it? It is. The people are so genuine, and and the place is, Yeah, Oregon's a beautiful spot.
1: Yep, it's agree. Tasmania. Yeah, love it.
0: We're, we're about to be in Tassie based.
1: We're in Hobart, so oh, got, it's a capital city. So we've yeah. got plenty going on, but it still feels quieter than. All the others. Yeah, it
0: does. Okay. And so, were you, were you, did you grow up in Tassie?
1: No, no, actually a Kiwi by birth. Ah. And, but I spent most of my time, you know, studying in high school in Queensland.
0: Okay. And what made you want to get into? in the regulatory side of of workplace mental health. Well, let's start with, yeah, where did that passion come from?
1: Sure, so I did my PhD finished in 2002 on how people adjust to organizational change and how it affects them in terms of their mental wellbeing and what sort of factors help them adjust to changes in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So that was my focus to start out and then I started teaching in MBA programs and talking to managers and leaders about the issues that they're facing, and you know how research can contribute to some of the the issues and the problems. So I started to then get more, I guess, interested in the outcome side of that. So those psychological wellbeing outcomes, yeah, and wow. started looking at things like depression and in the workplace. And this is sort of going back 15 years ago, where I used yep. to interview leaders about this topic, and they would say. Oh, we don't have anybody in our organisation that has mental health problems, so this isn't relevant to us. Is that right? So you can see how much that has changed over 15 years. Yeah.
0: Tell me, what, you you mentioned you did a PhD in organisational change, but what what was it about this that even wanted you to study it in the first place? Like, was there a history in the family? Was it an experience? Was it just something that you always had a strong desire?
1: I guess I have always been interested in people yep. and I uh, started in my undergraduate degree taking additional courses in psychology. I started out doing arts and commerce and I just got really interested in that, that psychology content. Yes. And then I did my honors in an area around sort of human resource Okay. Management, and I had a very fantastic role model, a woman, Liz Jones, at Griffith University, who was my honours supervisor, and who really encouraged me to pursue my PhD. Wow. Uh, and then I was just off on that journey.
0: And so, how long? How old? So, how old is Pracademia?
1: I started Pracademia in twenty seventeen. Okay. Yeah, so it's 5 years.
0: Were you at the uni so since have you been at the uni for most of most the, uh, of my after 2000? career after yep.
1: that I did do some public service Queensland public service work yep. for a few years in between my honors and phd Cool. Yeah. So
0: what what have you seen or what have you noticed as the biggest shift if we look back in the well let's say since 2000 to 2022
1: I 22 years. The biggest shift is the recognition. Where we're at now is much higher awareness, just that mental health is part of health, that it's, you know, less stigmatized than it was and the public sort of understanding has improved. There's still a long way to go though, I think. Yeah.
0: And is that when you say, is it the employee and the employer's awareness around this has grown significantly yeah. or are we seeing more? more awareness in in employees? And...
1: Oh, I think it's across the board. I think okay. it's a society-level change that's come about, you know, for a whole range of reasons. But, you know, an organisation I've worked with a bit is Beyond Blue and, as I said in my talk, their workplace program came on the scene in 2004 and, you know, they've done a lot of work on community attitudes and trying to improve mental health literacy. And I think, you know, we can see some effects from that not just beyond blue but all of the organizations working in this space you know have been able to improve that general public and community understanding that mental health is part of health but the prevention side of things i don't think has been optimized yet
0: yeah okay so you reckon the biggest awareness has yeah okay that's really interesting and so then what made you want to then Shift your attention. Well, in fact, you know what, let's just tell us firstly, what's pracademia and what you do?
1: So I started pracademia, I had a career break from the university setting. I decided I needed a change and wanted to do something that was, you know, that I was able to see the results of more quickly than what it's like to work in a sort of research machine. And it takes a long time for some of your findings to actually reach practice if they ever do. So I wanted to be, I knew that a lot would be happening in the space. I could feel that there was going to be a growth in, you know, the need for high quality information on this. So I just really thought I had the knowledge to apply, to offer to clients and just wanted to try something different from an academic career. I knew that though I had a lot to offer with that evidence-informed approach.
0: So really trying to take the data from academia to make it practical. That's
1: right and that's how, you know, that's the nature of the name of the company and our tagline is just academic insights for practical advantage because a lot of academic work is, you know, not necessarily easily translated into... Uh, practical interventions and practical training.
0: It's quite often the the most often most common comment we get after a, a really good academic talk is, "Okay, well, that's really cool, but how do I use this information? How do I apply it? How do I put this into practice to make my better outcomes for my clients, better, uh, you know, bit more successful for me." And that link is often overlooked and so I think that space is hugely important mm. and, and very relevant.
1: Yeah, and I know that I'll be busy doing that for the near future at least and it's enjoyable. talking to some colleagues here at the conference saying, I really enjoy that practical work. You get a lot of appreciation from clients, from managers, from employees, like just get that instant feedback that, that you're being of assistance, which I love.
0: Angela, do you want to tell our listeners, for those who may not know, but tell tell them what is psychosocial risk or hazards? What what are they?
1: So I guess looking back into the work I did during my PhD at that time, it was mainly called workplace stress research and looking at what are the different factors that commonly create stress for employees. You know, we're all individuals and so we'll have our different idiosyncratic, you know, sort of reactions to things. But what are the common sources of stress. And so that research has evolved over 50 years or more. And one example is the research on bullying. So that's only one of, you know, potentially 15 or 20 different known psychosocial risks. Most people understand, you know, that bullying is damaging to mental health. So That is one example of psychosocial risk, but there are so many other factors as well. It's been summarised before as the psychosocial factors that are related to lack of value and respect in the workplace. There are different ways that that shows up. There's also, I guess, things about the actual conditions of work, like the terms of employment, you know, for example, insecure employment. There's heaps of evidence to show that that is negatively associated with mental health. And so it's been accumulating an evidence base about what the factors are that increase your risk of developing a mental illness. So there's a lot of these prospective studies early on where, you know, they track people over time and they see, the, you know, they're healthy at baseline and they look at what they've been exposed to, you know, to determine that increased risk.
0: And this is something that's been around, for obviously, a long for long a long, long time. Yeah. What happened back in the days where this before this was a thing? Was it just something no one spoke about? Yeah. Everyone just... Sort of thought something was happening and they didn't understand it.
1: Yes, I think there's been a, that very individualised approach to mental ill health that is, you know, in terms of we think about stigma, is very individual blaming, is that, you know, the perceived controllability of mental health disorders. And that's really associated with stigma. You know, the, oh, you know, Sam, if you could just, you know, go to therapy and get your shit together a bit more, yeah. you'd be much better in the workplace. And that's the end of the conversation not what are you experiencing at work, Sam, that mm. is, you know, negatively affecting your mental health.
0: Or leave the baggage at the door. Yeah. That's what I said in it. my talk. If yeah. you
1: can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Yeah. But I feel we're starting to see some change around that. And I mean there's been this attempt, I guess, with the work, health and safety legislation to recognize psychological health even sort of back fifteen years ago. So there's always been in recent times an expectation that employers should manage the psychological issues just as much as they do the physical, you know, ability to to trip or be harmed physically at work. So that that's always been there in recent times. But the Productivity Commission in 2020 did interviews and surveys with senior leaders, and only about 30% had even heard of the fact that they had a duty of care in this area. So the awareness of yeah. what was in the legislation was very low.
0: That was 2020. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. And I think off the back of that and, you know, there's been several different drivers of change. We've seen this now changes to regulation from Safe Work Australia. They've put out these model changes to regulation and they've put out the code of practice to set very clearly what the expectations are about what's reasonable for employers to do. So it's pretty big, I think. It's a a big change that they are now trying to have a way of enforcing it more and getting that awareness higher.
0: So that was released this year, wasn't it? Yeah. But if we look before that, let's say go back to 2010 or or earlier, how was it being monitored then? How was it being regulated, if at all?
1: Not much. To be honest, like I, I mentioned bullying because that has been an area where there's been some action and some policy work. And interestingly now, even sexual harassment has come into the code of practice, again, to, you know, give a bit more teeth to regulators about how those issues are handled. Um, Mostly they weren't.
0: Yeah,
1: We had psychological injury claims through workers' comp, but again what we know is that people who make those claims often end up more mentally unwell by the system that they have to go through to seek compensation for their injuries and the stigma around the mental health stuff, having to try to prove that it's primarily work-related.
0: So why is it important now that psychosocial risk assessments – are necessary for organisations of all types and sizes?
1: Well, it's very important because it's just a part of a safe workplace. So this is what I'm saying about the opportunity of preventative action that tackles social determinants of health, not individual Biological or psychological processes that actually looks at those environmental conditions, and we know that it 's really important because outside of our family context or our educational context, our workplace is our major social yeah. context, so I still think there's you know if we could get very proper and diligent psychosocial risk assessment and management it 's not a panacea for everything to become perfect, but it, yeah. it gives us that security and safety of a psychosocially safe environment that shouldn't harm us, you know, and people are going to have their different issues with mental health across the lifespan, you know, and the better work they're in and the better work environment they're in, you know, that helps everybody, even people who are in recovery from mental illness.
0: What's the how? How would people go about this? How would employers go about this To make sure that you're doing it of a standard that's acceptable,
1: it's interesting that because the code of practice sets out what the acceptable standard is now, you know, and it talks about things like what's reasonably practicable, you know, because there are risks that are inherent in certain types of work that may not be able to be eliminated, can only be mitigated or, you know, monitored. So the way that you approach it, I think, will be determined a little bit by the maturity that you're at already with your workplace mental health strategy. For organisations that are just starting, there's a bit of preparation to do before you would conduct a psychosocial risk assessment. I feel like there needs to be you know, quite a lot of consultation with staff, taking staff with you along this sort of journey to create a better environment, because the The employees themselves are the ones that can report, you know, the common stresses and they can also come up with ideas to better manage them. So I would say before you even, you know, maybe don't jump straight into doing the risk assessment, maybe think about how ready your organization is, how mature it is processes you've already got in place for these sorts of issues to be coming through but there are a range of tools if you've got an organization that's sort of more than about 20 people we say there's tools around that are free the regulators have promoted people at work which is one evidence-informed survey and it's all set up so that maybe an organization without a heap of resource to employ consultants to come in they can do that themselves internally so people at work is one there's a great new tool I mentioned in my talk yesterday too that's really designed originally to look at risks for musculoskeletal disorders, but actually they find that the same factors influence our mental health as well. So that one's the Affirm tool. Jodie Oakman at La Trobe Uni has just put that one out and it's available for people to use for free, good quality. You can, if you're in a smaller organisation, you could use, besides anonymous surveys, you know, you can have staff meetings where there's a regular item but you need to be able to develop that culture where people are comfortable talking about what's causing them stress in the team because you know everyone might react to a, a certain stressor in a different way but it's got to be normalized that you bring these issues up and talk about them just in the same way that you're looking out for safety risks at all times for physical health.
0: And what would you say is the biggest risk for workplaces for employers as it relates to the regulations and enforcing them? What, what do you think is the biggest challenge for them?
1: I think there's a lot of organisations maybe already sort of not compliant. They've done nothing in this area. So I would always start with compliance. Like, you know, you can develop maturity and have an amazing workplace mental health strategy that's, you know, multi-component and integrated. But if you haven't done that due diligence on the compliance area, then you're not coming from a strong base. So, yeah, I would say get started by doing something that's appropriate for where you're at and what resources, I guess, you have available internally.
0: Yeah. Is it something you need to throw a fair bit of resources at? Is it, is it? cost? Is it well, money? Well, we it do time? that
1: sort of work for clients all okay. the time and so you, you know, it's feasible people. within the budgets okay. of a wide range of organisations.
0: So you can just contract someone to come in do the assessment and make the recommendations?
1: Yeah, but okay. you have to own it. like, if, yeah. Because you know, what's really frustrating is when you do the report and you say, here are, you know, three or four really big high risk factors that have come up from this assessment and it's the control and mitigation part that's actually the most challenging part. What are we going to do about this problem? What can, what, you know, what, what can we even do? What's feasible?
0: Is that the most challenging part, seeing the implementation yes. or lack thereof?
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. And everyone's had that experience of participating in a workplace survey, whether it's an engagement survey or stress-based survey, whatever, where they've, you know, they've honestly answered how they experience their work and they present the results back and they go, yeah, we're going to do something about these issues and then that nothing happens and then there's another survey two years later. Mm-hmm. And that's actually worse, I think, than yeah. doing nothing at all, because you're setting up an expectation that you care what people are reporting back, but if you're not you know really making the effort to change structures, systems, approaches, it's actually really demotivating for people.
0: You spoke about the organisation, the need for it to focus on three things, which is preventing harm, promoting positive environment, uh, and then responding to problems. Are they the key three focuses that you think are?
1: Yes. Yeah. So that work on the integrated model, I acknowledge the leader of that work, Tony Lamontani from Deakin Uni, but we were a big team from different disciplines yep. trying to pull quite disparate areas of research together. So we sort of had that responding to mental health issues side of the model, which was really a lot of psychiatry, clinical psychology, and then on the other side was this more preventative stuff that's based around identifying psychosocial risks, making a safe work environment. And then the promoting the positive stuff is all about the protective elements of good work, good work design, a supportive organisational culture, all the things that are great about work and maximising those so that work is protective and not necessarily something that depletes your mental health, that it can give it a boost.
0: Do you think our organisations prioritising the prevention of harm, and just sort of sitting on that, just to do the bare minimum?
1: In many cases, yes. Yeah. What I think is really going to be interesting in the next few years, as the states start to change their regulations, and information gets out about the code of practice, it's going to be really interesting to see both you know, prosecutions by regulators as well as case law that develops. So it's going to be an interesting time in the next five years. We were already seeing a lot of case law. You know, we saw some really interesting examples this morning about that. So, yeah, there's carrots and sticks going on in the system at the moment. There's a lot of work being put into resources to support employers to do the right thing. Yeah, so…
0: Are we seeing a shift from state-based… To federal, and is that what the latest is with the national?
1: Well, we had an attempt to harmonise the states' work health and safety Mm -hmm. laws. I think it was 2011 because you know they have looked different in different states, and so the national level is about providing a model act or a model regulation, and then there's processes in each state as to whether that's adopted and how it's enforced. Yeah,
0: yeah, really interesting. And and tell me about the because you mentioned as well that you the 2004 the Canada work related stress.
1: Oh, Canada, I think it was 2013, but 2013. there was the 2004 was the UK, UK Health and Safety HSC. Executive management standards for work related stress. Like right. I said back then, it was talked about as work related stress.
0: So they were they the initial guidelines that then have been then so UK, Canada then implemented something you were over there, I think, yes. at that time too. Yeah, to check really that exciting.
1: Out. Canada was really the first to do a really major initiative like that, but it is a voluntary standard. So, you know, there's no sort of enforcing of yeah. people not meeting the standard. As I said, there's lots of carrots and sticks out Guidelines, there. Yeah. And it's very interesting to see what will happen.
0: Were they leading the way, do you think, nationally?
1: Yeah, yeah Canada, yep. uh, you know, I was so excited to go there and look at what they were doing. It seemed very different. I mean, it really was sort of a world first big initiative.
0: And now as a result of what you've seen bring out, being brought out this year, do you feel like Australia is now up there at the forefront of this or do you think we're still lagging a little Uh, bit? There's
1: probably been stronger stuff in Europe for some time. But, yeah, I feel like the fact that Australia is ready to regulate these issues is a positive overall, I think, and it it reflects reasonably well on us as a country to recognise the importance of the issue and that's why I think the Productivity Commission's report was so influential. I think it's really important too that, you know, you recognise the the role of politics in all of this too, you know, particularly around, as I said, insecure employment isn't considered in the regulations. It's these more psychosocial factors rather than, you know…
0: Yeah, status of employment. Yes. Okay. A- and a- as you look to the latest regulatory guidelines, all the changes that have been made, does it does it excite you? Does it think, okay, this is heading the right direction and we're now starting to see companies, organisations take this on board and and use these quite seriously in the workplace?
1: Yeah, and I I really do think that it is a good bet to put resources and effort into this space, as I said, to be able to realise some of the benefits for our population and our workforce mental health just through this prevention agenda. And it's hard because not everyone gets the prevention approach. Because it's much easier to see a problem and respond to a problem than it is to try to prevent one from occurring in the first place, mm-hmm. so it, it you know it requires a shift in thinking
0: I mean historically, what's been the biggest challenge as it relates to workplace regulations? I mean has it been just the lack of lack of clarity around you know what what an employer is obligated to provide for the employees? is it I'd be interested to get your thoughts on yeah. what the challenge has been and, and if this certainly helps alleviate that?
1: Yeah, I think the fact that that the awareness was low about the need to do this means that, you know, we'll get a lot more organisations now, you know, seeing that there's the potential for reputational damage, financial, you know, fines, besides just the general research that we know about, you know, productivity benefits of being mentally well and being a safe work environment. Stuff that's pretty logical, isn't it, really? It is. So I actually, I think I'm cautiously optimistic about the potential for change. But again, in my talk, I mentioned there are several issues to look out for. And one of them was, you know, collaboration. So internally within an organization to, to you know, properly use an integrated approach. You've got to have safety, HR, org development, learning, diversity and inclusion, you've got to have these different functions actually working together to mm. do those controls around the risks and to, as I said, you know, think about, you know, creating a really positive organizational environment that can sort of buffer some of the stress that you can't fully eliminate. Because as you know, I mean even I saw a great talk this morning looking at healthcare workers stress during COVID and psychological distress of people who had a very supportive relationship with their supervisor was only about 8%, compared to, you know, 30 or more percent for someone who didn't feel a supportive relationship with their supervisor. Mm -hmm. So some of these things are quite basic, but you need the capability to be able to improve. So I I see those challenges around capability, mindsets, and attitudes. As I said, that whole piece around stigma and perceived controllability that, you know, you just can't hack this. Environment and it's something that's wrong with you, not with the environment.
0: Is that what you were referring to in your presentation in the four C's? Is that what yes, that was? Yes, yes. And
1: yeah. then the last one was culpability because okay. I think that's the emerging piece. We don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah. yeah, those codes of practice going to be enforced. You know, I, I've heard some discussions about Victoria, works so say Victoria being. Quite ready to go with issuing notices of improvement and things oh. within the next twelve months, so they'll be taking quite you know a harsh approach. And they've been putting a lot of work into their inspectorate to uh, bring their capability in um, psychosocial issues up.
0: Okay, well that's they're leading the way, and and that's really good. Yeah. Do you when the report came out was there some things that you're looking at thinking, oh they've completely missed. Uh, something out of it or an aspect out of it they've overlooked something
1: no i think they've done a pretty comprehensive job of including things that are evidence-based there's always new and emerging risks though too and there are sometimes risks that are specific to certain types of occupations and industries so they've gone with something of you know here are the sort of general ones that you know affect most people but if you're doing a you know a really good job you'll be using those sort of more generic ones that come from the evidence but also talking to your people about what the more specific or nuanced issues might be so you can't just you know completely take everything off the shelf you have to talk to your people about you know identifying so when we go into an organization we have a whole range of different survey items that go with these different listed risk factors but we always do focus groups first to find out you know what does the average person in there say is there Biggest issue. So, you know, we've had to add things to the surveys depending on what context we're in. It's
0: well, really interesting work, isn't
1: it? It's totally fascinating and I love it. <laughs>
0: well, what's the thing that excites you most about it?
1: I think it, for me, and having worked as an MBA educator, is seeing mind shift, you know, mindset shift in leaders and managers. That really motivates me because they can have a very strong influence on people's experience of work. So when I can see you know, a, a sort of an open opening to looking at yeah. evidence, looking at an approach that's, that makes sense, that's really motivating.
0: And do you think we're getting towards a phase in Australia where, where they're not only just doing it, but they're meaning that they want to do it, they're intentional yes, about it? Yes, rather
1: than I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do box it. Box ticking, yeah.
0: just doing it for the sake of it, to be. Is that what we're saying? Do you think?
1: Oh, there's heaps of box ticking out there. Okay. Yeah. And there's also a lot of non evidence based commercial services and I think we're seeing a bit of a monetization of this space too so I really advise people to be quite selective and do their due diligence on who their providers are and if they've done any evaluation before of things that they're offering you know that this can work not saying that you know it's all stitched up and has to be owned by you know university research or anything like that but I think it's really important there's so many people moving into the space perhaps without the the background and without the evidence.
0: Are you moving forward you seem hopeful that, you know, the direction this is going in and the speed with which it's being taken up is quite encouraging. And mm. and you you think the future of this is, you know, definitely going to come and be quite beneficial to the employees
1: yeah well i must admit you know i was very excited when i saw the code of practice and the model regs released yes because like as i said you know you heard about my early career i've been interested in this for 20 years and really surprised that there hasn't been earlier action
0: yeah as it looks to the future what yeah what's lighting you up inside about what's ahead and what have you got going on professionally
1: so one of the things I mentioned in my talk that I think is going to be fantastic and something I've been involved in is the National Workplace Initiative. That's It's come out of the Mentally Healthy Workplace Alliance group, but it's being administered through the National Mental Health Commission. And they're building out a digital portal full of resources that Is very well aligned with that integrated approach. They're talking to the regulators about the safety side of things. We did some content for them on promoting the positive in work, what makes good work, what makes a a great organisation to work for. And then obviously, we've seen a lot of action in that third bit about responding to mental ill health and how to have conversations and how to help people seek support.
0: As far as, you know, when people are at crisis point, are we finding that, you know, the the resources available to them, and and some of the policies and regulations that are coming in the workplace more supportive of that. And
1: I think generally, and again, this could also be part of the pandemic-related stuff, is that there's generally more of a an awareness, you know, about early intervention, and, and that's great. But we've got so many problems with our mental services system as well. You know, it's not uncommon for people to finally decide to seek help and not be able to get an appointment for. Three months or, you know, Mm. just stuff like that. So there's what workplaces can do and then there's the much bigger stuff around communities, you know, what the health service can offer, what sort of supports are there and resources are there. So that's a different piece to what I work on, but I want to acknowledge that that is an issue as well. Yeah. But a lot of organizations or well, most organizations have an employee assistance program, but you know, for way too long it's that's been the only thing and most managers if there's any sort of people issues would be like here's the number for the EAP, yeah. which is really not good enough. You know, it's really ju- that's just a safety net thing that's there, but most organizations haven't gone that far beyond it.
0: Yes. We're seeing this now be used, you know, good workplace initiatives. That go beyond just what your outcomes are that you're providing to the company, but more around the holistic approach to individuals. We're seeing this now become more of a, I guess, an attraction for people to want to, for organizations to want to stand out to attract the talent that they want. Is that we see this going now, not just having the bare minimum policies in place to protect people, but actually moving into what you call that that promotion of the positive
1: Yes, side. that's what I was talking about employee value proposition, yeah. I guess is how I describe that and you know again the pandemic has really sort of brought to light, you know, that whole issue of people reflecting on how is my work affecting my health? How you know, how am yeah. I traveling in terms of my mental health and 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 how work interacts with that? Yeah so i think we'll see continued change in in society around that and the employers who are offering these great work environments and good jobs are going to be doing better than the employers that you know offering crappy jobs and not supporting people and not making their environments you know it's a 50-50 thing i again going back to the early work in the beyond blue workplace program yes. one of the first things we would show is that You know, the employer is responsible for that environment piece. Sure, the individual is responsible for how they manage their own personal mental health issues. But there's always that interface. Like, you can't separate that. And so employers who say, well, it's nothing to do with us. It's a private matter. You know, they're missing 50% of the equation of what should be happening.
0: Well, it certainly sounds like we're on the pathway. We're not there, but we're certainly…
1: We're on the path feels yeah. like
0: we're on the path and Angela I mean it's been really great to talk to you but if people want to get a hold of you or the work you're doing or your organisation what's the best way they can contact you
1: Yeah so just to google pracademia we're pracademia.com.au or if you want to look at any of my university research just look me up Angela Martin on the University of Tasmania website
0: Super interesting yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting where things are at and looking forward to where things are going in the future. But, I mean, what a step. I think it's all looking pretty good.
1: Yeah, I agree, Sam. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. It is going to be complex, though, and yes. everyone's not going to agree about it. But, you know, <laughs> hey, let's keep talking.
0: Yeah, and certainly better. we're better off where we are now than when we were 15, 20 yes, years ago. So, for sure. In the right direction. Well, thanks very much for your time, Angela. I really appreciated your time and the talk, and thanks for sharing it with the listeners.
1: You're very welcome. Thanks, Sam
0: well we hope you enjoyed this episode feel free to share with your friends and colleagues and if you know someone working in mental health that you'd like to see featured on the podcast please email any suggestions to us at membership at anzmh.asn.au you can also stay up to date on our socials at anzmha on facebook twitter and linkedin Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next episode with you next week.